Happy Thursday, beautiful people. It's Thursday in Elm. Another cold morning. I have not turned my heat on. I refuse. I said I'm going to try to hold out to November 1st. That's when I'm going to turn the, turn the heat on at the crib. <sighs> Welcome to uh, 9 a.m. or around 9 a.m. Um, you got me. Babs Rolls Ivy. Love Babs, love talk. So if you're around getting in your car like Joy and Scully <laughs> on your way to work, or if you're uh, out there in Seattle and it's like six o'clock in the morning, you're like, I got to listen to that damn Babs. <laughs> or if you're in Jersey on your treadmill like my sister, or if you're like my brother at the Department of Public Works doing, doing what you do, first responders out there, making sure our streets are clean. Um, and often safe. So if you're listening to me this morning, thank you. Good morning, beautiful people. So, uh, and uh, I believe Harry's back, so he'll probably jump in whenever he feels like it. You know how Harry do. So last night I was at the uh, New Haven Free Public Library downtown, listening to the talk between between um, Reginald Dwayne Betts and uh, Nicholas uh, Dowdoff, who has a new book out called uh, On the Other Side of Prospect. And uh, I, I, I guess I would say it's a love letter to the city, um, elevating some things about the city that, you know, we don't, we don't, we don't do a good job of trying to fix or solve or whatever. And uh, and it's focused around a particular murder. And um, and I don't, I don't remember if it's unsolved. I have to ask Paul Bass about this. Um, is that is that crime unsolved? I meant to ask um, Nicholas. Uh, I don't have the book. I'm going to get the book. It might be my, I might bump it up on top of all the other books that I'm trying to read my winter reads. So I might, I might make this go to head of the head of the head of the list. One, because I know him now and he lives here and, uh, and I don't want to be the only one who hadn't read this book. So I think I'm going to get in the next couple of weeks and just start on it on top of all the other tagline books that I'm reading. But Nonetheless, so uh, so it was a really good showing of people. Ife and I went. Uh, it was a good time. I mean, it was a good conversation. Uh, it really was a good conversation. I thought um, Dwayne did a great job of setting the tone for the conversation and uh, having his thoughts gathered. I, I like talking to people who have their thoughts gathered. You know, I like I like talk. I like when people can speak and. And and they are clear about what they're saying. I li- I like it. But sometimes you got to work things out as you're talking. I get that because I do that too. Sometimes you just got to work it out as you are speaking about it. But it was good. It was a nice turnout. Good showing of support. Um, the next one is uh, I I think they're doing one at the Stetson on the 25th. I think, and then they're out to RJ Julia on the 7th with uh, James Foreman Jr. And I think on the 9th with Chris Chris Watson. So uh, I'm going to try to try to make them all, maybe, possibly. We'll see what I could get into. Um, but it's such a uh, it's such a good conversation. And then each time each time he has Nicholas has these conversations, they're different. Like my conversation with him yesterday morning, you know, he talked a lot about his dad and his dad's mental health. I didn't hear any. I heard a tiny piece of that last night, and I dare say. It'll, it, it depends on whoever's asking the questions, what the, what the follow-up will be and what the lead-up will be. So, you know, um, having conversations is uh, art. It's, 
everyone can't do it. Everyone is not, uh, anybody can have a conversation. Let me say that. Anybody can have a conversation, but it, it takes somebody truly interested in having conversation to have a conversation because there's layers to a conversation. It's not simply just asking questions. It's not simply that, uh, particularly if you're doing it in a setting. You know, that's why, you know, you ask people to do these, you ask people to do questions and they, you ask them to facilitate conversations and not very good at it is because that's not what they do, you know? So, um, so I always, I always just like, I, I know you like people, but just be mindful of, of that kind of thing. Cause you want a conversation to be a real conversation. And there's, you know, there's things about a conversation that needs to happen. It's not about the person asking the questions. It's about the questions being asked to the person who is going to answer them. And, and you sort of, you have to see the long game in the conversation, you know, and you have to let it go organically. And, and you can't be so focused on asking questions that you just skip some really good things. You know, like people will show up with like take questions. I got to get these questions in. And, and they miss so much of the conversation when they rush over, you know, the answer to get to the second question without letting the conversation just sort of expand and explore. And I know that's hard for people. I'm not a journalist in that, in, in that regard, but you know, I have, I come with a bunch of questions. I am uh, just naturally curious. And so because I am naturally curious, uh, I'm able to have all kinds of conversations with people. I don't get annoyed at chit chat or small talk or, or any of those, I can have long, deep, abiding conversations, and I can have small, how's the weather kind of conversations. Oh, girl, blah, blah, blah. Or, honey, let me tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. And so because I'm curious, it just centers me in people's conversations. And I, and I actually care about what people say. I, I really have patience for, uh, for people and what they're talking about. I, I don't. I don't, uh, and even if I don't like people <laughs> and there's, there's a bunch of people I don't like, I'm always interested still in the conversation, you know, particularly if they're just saying stupid stuff. I still am interested in the stupid stuff that they're saying because I'm curious that way. <laughs> so this is why I'm always asked to, um, to facilitate conversations because I absolutely love doing it. I feel like this is my part, one of the true callings of my life. One of the true callings uh, is to, to always be in conversation with people. And that could be anybody. I can have a conversation about anything. And, uh, and I'm quick with it, right? So I'm quick on my feet. And I don't stutter or stammer. And I don't take long pause. You know what I mean? Like I am very, I'm very uh, in tuned and attuned uh, to people and how to speak to them and how to converse. And if I take a long pause, it's because, you know, one, it's not because I'm reaching for something to say. It's because um, the moment calls for a pause. Do you know what I mean? Like those are the elements of a conversation that people sort of have to, to get. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm very clear, quickly, fast in my brain about how to talk to people and what to say, particularly when I am facilitating a conversation. And, and I listen. That's the other part, too. You have to really listen to people and you have to hear what they're saying. And you also have to hear what they're not saying, because sometimes the richness is in asking questions that they're not saying. And I'm not one of these people. I don't go down painful roads with people. 
because you, 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 people think that that's the, you want to know something about that. You know, I think the criticism that people give me sometimes that I don't go hard enough on certain people. I, I don't see the value or point of that. When I'm having a conversation with somebody, um, I, I'm really not trying to set them on fire. I, I'm not that person. I can't set you on fire. <laughs> but I, I just feel like for my own particular style of conversing with people, if you're sitting in front of me and I'm having this conversation, um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do harm. I think, I think that's what I want to say. I don't want to do harm. You know, but, but if you're a fool and you're saying some stupid stuff, I'm going to refute it. I'm just going to be like, no, you can't, you can't say that. You can't, you know, like yesterday I had this conversation with Andrew Gearing because he posted some mess up on, uh, on the independent side about the, um, Longhorn Theater being itinerant, and uh, and you know he's throwing all these things at me, and I and I'm I'm you know I'm like a a a, a superhero. I just get the I get my Wonder Woman rope out and just start beating him back. You know he's like, oh, the community should have been a part of this conversation. And I said, I'm sorry. What is a board? What what is the board? The board is a community of people. And the people and the community of people that the board comes from is from the community, like it or not. You can't, you can't like, oh, you have a board, and then when the board makes decisions you don't like, all of a sudden they're not people from the community. See, this is why so many things fail in this city around who people think community is. This is why things fail. Because one, it takes a it's easy to stand on the soapbox and talk about what you don't like. What is challenging is to sit your ass on a board and be concerned about the direction of an organization. I don't want to hear anybody whine about Long Wharf Theater. Should have. We held, we, we, are, we, were, we were there for 50 years and people were like, oh, y'all failed. How do, we, how do you fail when you have put on grand productions for 50 years in a space that was supposed to be temporary at best? at best and then you don't understand and then when you tell people you have to take into consideration american theaters across this country are changing we are not just thinking about new haven we are thinking about theater across the country what is happening and if you don't understand that let me break it down for you if you do not concern yourself with american theater across the country that means you are not paying attention to playwrights who need their work put on stages you have to think about that we can't just use playwrights the only playwrights we use are from new haven we'd run out of production in a couple of months we have got to draw from a wider pool number one number two because american theaters are trying to look look at ways to stay relevant to stay catering to an audience an audience, by the way, that is aging, predominantly white, and 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 making other decisions for their time. You have to look at those kinds of things. So while people love what think that they love being at that terminal, they think they love it because they've not known anything else. Is 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 would be. Uh, not 
a good decision making on our part as the board. So, so when we say we're going to go into an itinerary model, that means that we can make theater anywhere. Like theater does not always have to have a 250 seat theater stage. Sometimes creating theater might be some intimate space for 50 people or 20 people or 10 people or maybe 300 people, depending on what it is and how long we do it. You have to look at this, you know, as I said to Andrew Geary, you know, you, you sound like a petulant child with this, oh, my parents have been going here, blah, blah, blah. Well, are you saying they won't go somewhere else for theater? Like this is their only place that they will ever see theater in their whole lives? <laughs> then you need to take your parents out more. Because so he was like, oh, what do you mean? It'll be theater like in a bar? Yes. You know what theater in a bar is called? Cabaret. <laughs> what do you think the blue note is? What do you think the iridium is? What do you think um, uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center is? It's all a bar. <laughs> what a stage. What do you think the Monterey was? Do you know what I mean? It's just, it's all those things. What do you think Jazzy's is? It has a stage, but guess what? It's a whole restaurant connected to it. And no one says, oh, I would never go see a production in a restaurant. You never hear that. You think, oh my God, I would go see so-and-so at Jazzy's, whatever, whatever. I'm going to go see uh, the trio at Harvest. You don't think twice about that. That's what I mean. People have to sort of be thoughtful and expand their minds and their imagination about what theater is and what theater could be. It was probably crazy to sort of think you could go see a whole Shakespearean play for free in a park. <laughs> in a park. Are parks known for, for being uh, places for theatrical productions? Well, now they are. <laughs> we don't think twice about putting up a stage and throwing a band on it. Hell, we do that every summer called Arts and Ideas, the International Festival. We throw stage up. There's been Madame Butterfly. The symphony has played it. Uh, drag shows. All kinds of stuff. And no one bats an eye because it has become acceptable. We look forward to it. What is happening at Long Wharf Theater just says we are expanding what we do. And bringing theater in the way that it was intended to be brought to communities that probably would never come to Long Wharf Theater. And please don't give me that white supremacist mess about, well, uh, it, you know, it's on the highway. It's on the highway because it suited the suburbanites who did not want to step foot into New Haven proper. But that has all changed. 50 years ago, that was a different thing. Now, people go into New Haven for all kinds of things. You come to New Haven to, to get you some Pakistani food. You come to New Haven because you want a damn good steak. You come to New Haven because you want some, you want a particular type of Indian food from a particular part of the region of India. You come to New Haven for that. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you'll come into New Haven for theater. You come for the Schubert. You come for the palace. You come for Yale Rep. You come for Yale Theater. You come for the Iceman Center. You come. You come when they put on productions at schools, 
all these schools in New Haven have really amazing stages. They have amazing, amazing stages. I don't, I, I don't know who thought about this, but they thought about it. There are places in this town where you can put on whole productions in middle schools because the stages are just so great. And if that's not enough, you can go, you can go out there to the, uh, to the lab at uh, Concat. That used to be a school, but they didn't destroy the gym or the, the, the stage. Now you have a place that you could fit 100, 200 people, right? So expand your mind, use your imagination and come with us on this journey because this is what theater is. Theater didn't always start out <laughs> playing to a room of 250 people. Theater was in small pubs and places all over the place where you'd go hear something. Sometimes if you want to hear a poet, you want an intimate space. Sometimes if you want to hear a rock band, you need an expansive space. We're not going to put, guess what? We're not going to put the Rolling Stones in Long Wharf Theater because that would be too small for them. They need a whole arena. <laughs> right? So you have to think about these things. So every time I hear people whine about Long Wharf Theater, and I get it because people are up in their feelings, but ask yourself before you start your whining, how did you support Long Wharf Theater up until this point? And can you imagine theater in other places? Yes, you can, because you go see things in other places. <laughs> you go see things in other places. And that's what we want you to do. We want you to come and see theater as it's meant to be in different communities. And don't worry about the safety aspect of things. New Haven is as safe as any place in the world. If somebody's going to kill you, they're going to kill you in Guilford just as well as they can kill you in New Haven. So, you know, relax, come into the city, have a dinner, have a cocktail. We've got some great cocktail bars, Ordinary, 116 Crown, um, um, Fireproof 80. I mean, uh, is it Fireproof 80, uh, Tiama Tequila, Barracudas. I mean, they, I mean, listen, you could go to the bar uh, on the 21st floor of the Omni. That's a wonderful space to hang out and look out over the whole city from the 21st floor. I mean, there's so many cool things that you can do. So I, I'm just telling people, use your imagination and uh, uh, be ready to rock and roll. Hey, Harry, how you feeling? What's up, Bubs? How you feeling? What is that on I'm, your head? I'm good. Oh, your hat is backwards. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm good. Um, actually, the just got off the phone with the doctor's office who called to see how I was doing this morning, which was the doctors do, Harry. When the last really time nice. My doctor always calls me. He calls me after they do. They test. call you right after. I'm like, yeah. Huh. My surgeon called me so much. I was like, are we dating? <laughs> like, what is happening? I'm like, okay. You know, I, I was like, do I answer the call? But yeah, I answered the call. So, answer the call. That's your doctor. You know the number. Okay. Let me turn my hat around. Angel said, "What? You? I think I'm 18." Turn my well, hat. I'm glad you are, are better. Nora held it down well yesterday. Thank um, you, Nora. Yeah, I mean, it was the appointment was for 10:30. Oh, okay. Which so that was, gave you a you know, little time. You didn't have to uh, yeah, rush over uh, more, someplace. More, more time to more time to starve. Um, Harry, you did not starve. <laughs> Do you know what starvation is? You did uh, not starve. I'm not starving now, but yesterday, no. So 10.30, 
and it really didn't go off to like 12 so okay i don't know what was going on they were just torturing me purposely and then you know other people getting colonoscopies they come out and and they get black you know they get coffee or whatever they get coffee and toast and i'm smelling all of this on the sides of me as they're coming out and i'm like man just a cup of coffee would be really good right now because i had a headache but no, it, it it went well. Um, not that anybody wants to hear this, but I have a clean colon, so yay! So, what do you go back? Two years? Three years? No, no. Um, so this was my third one, and it's four and a half years. He said since I've had nothing the last three, that I could just keep it at a five year clip. Um, because I have a pretty clear and clean. Okay. So if they tell you five, you do four. Yeah. No, seriously. So so I'm so I'm good. I I I'm really good. So and they were uh happy and impressed that I've lost so much weight. So Oh, they're always happy and impressed when you do that. Yeah. And like, right. They're like, yay! If I was like, going the other way, they would shame me. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know who does more fat shaming, um, <laughs> personal trainers or physicians. <laughs> I'm I'm convinced, Harry. The shaming is real. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, personal trainers, I would say, have to because you know they want you to work out. Yeah. Um, angels shamed me my whole existence. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't so, in that. I ain't gonna get in that. I ain't in it. That's no, all but, right. I mean, so no, so at least everything went well. I was Babs literally I fell out and then woke up back up in my room. Everything was over. I didn't I was just like gone for whatever amount of time it yeah. was. So they started the anesthesia before as they rolled me. Uh-huh. And by the time was, you got in there, you was yeah, out. Yeah, I was out. They could have put they could have put reindeer ears on you and take they taking pictures. Whatever to me, and I would have been like, good. <laughs> so I, I know. I know. I was like, I hope they hope they, you know, when they when I had my surgeries, I was like, I hope nobody takes pictures of me slobbering or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I know you know what what's the weird thing and I you know I I fell asleep with with nails and I'm I'm telling you I woke up and I think I got manicured nails. Oh. Like somebody trimmed my nails. Oh they probably did. I for don't know for, for uh cleanliness. You know what I mean? Like Yeah. Yeah. It's like my nails were filed on my Okay, this is weird, but whatever. I, you know, they didn't do a pedicure. I mean, <laughs> might as well. Have. So no, they were really good, really nice nurses, really um, good doctors. You know, Harry, you not, you not in, you not, you didn't, you're not in prison. Like it's not. <laughs> you know, it's that. You know, you I act like I, you're surprised. <laughs> I have such fear of of the medical profession, right? Like they're gonna be mean to you, like yeah, like 
Like, so when everything comes out well, it's like, is this supposed to be this way? You know, you know, you know, they, they're, they're pretty trained in these kinds of things. Yeah, the doctor explained everything. <laughs> like, I didn't expect him to explain everything best, but he explained When's everything. When's the last time you've been to the doctor? <laughs> I know, <laughs> but, you know. And, and, okay. <laughs> I will say my only complaint is that you... They required a mask throughout the whole process. That's my for, uh, for you for everybody. You okay. know, everybody had to come in and wear a mask. Um, my only problem is, and and I saw, you know, I went online and I looked at all of their procedures and everything. So I I took my own mask, but right before you walk into the lobby, they had a basket of mask, exposed mask that you're supposed to t- put on. So right there, that was the only complaint I had. As I'm walking in, I could have sneezed, I could have whatever, and infected the whole batch of masks. So I, I just think that was the only ridiculous thing. Well, they weren't in whole. paper, like plastic? No, no, there was just a stack of masks in a basket exposed. Oh. And I was like, well, thank God. Well, it was unlikely that anybody was standing over the mask coughing and sneezing. Well, well thank God I brought my own mask because I was not going to put on one of those <laughs> masks. <laughs> B-Y-O-N. <laughs> That's right. I would have I had an issue. Oh, my God, Harry. You cracked me all the way up. I was like, are you expecting her to be mean to you? <laughs> Sit yeah. down, Harry. <laughs> you know, Wake up, I, Harry. <laughs> I mean, they were so helpful, man. <laughs> Weird. You know, you I, associate, I, asso- I associate all doctors with the dentists, right? <laughs> what kind of dentist do you have? It's just, you know, it's just them sticking needles into your mouth. It's like this. I'm not talking bad about my dentists, but I kind of am. But I'm just saying they're sadistic people. I think, like... People who who love torture go into the dentistry. Harry, that <laughs> is not true. My dentist is a lovely man. <laughs> that's how I see it. I'm like, my mouth is open, and that that's my most vulnerable position for me. My mouth open, somebody sticking needles in my mouth is just like, and 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 the, the prostate worst. exam is not well. When's the last time you had that done? I, well. <laughs> Harry. That's a different issue. I, I will say the last time I had it done was maybe 10 years ago. and I Harry. Should, I know. Oh, my God. Tomorrow, you know, today, you call and make the appointment so you can get that check. What you know, are you doing? You know what, though, Babs? The last, the, doctor, the last doctor I had, and I don't want to criticize people, but here I go. He looked like Mr. Magoo. What does that got to do with it? I, well, <laughs> here I go. You prefer to look look I, like J Lo? Like, what do you want? Maybe, you want? maybe I need a better doctor. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't. I no longer have that doctor. But okay, so a, after he did the exam, he was just smiling too much for me. So and he looked like Mister Magoo. I, I, it just, it just, I, it was the worst day of my life. Harry. I know, I'm not but... playing with you. Go and get your prostate checked. 
It was you just of we- that age. I know it was the weirdest thing, Babs. It was just the weirdest thing that happened. Well, get over it. You cannot go ten years without a prostitute. Harry, I am not playing with you. That I've had too many friends. I too know. many okay. friends. I just had a Next. friend who was a year, just celebrated a year being cancer free from prostate. For a year prostate cancer free. Just just posted last night. And he's young. So come on. Yeah. I, I'm gonna you know what? I'm gonna schedule it for my next appointment. So when you get off, when you finish, when you in between your breaks today, whatever the hell you're doing, now, you, now you're, you're you're pushing it. <laughs> no, I yes I am, Harry, because men have to be better about this, particularly men of color, particularly men of color. Are you out of your mind? You better, Harry. I'm I know, not but you know, you. I'm not. You know, you know what, what? What? You know what? Wait a minute. Nope. I have a a woman doctor now, so I think it's going to be okay. Well, you but you know here's the thing: you got to call and make the appointment. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it. Call and make the appointment, Harry. I'm a, I'm gonna ask you every damn day. You need to go get your prostate checked because you are a man of color. That is, me have a, I'm gonna have a prostate doctor come out here and just wear <laughs> oh you god. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that'd be like uh, too much. <laughs> yes, it would be. And okay, you know, I, you know I'm I'll, for I'll cor- it. I'll correct myself. That is the most vulnerable position. <laughs> And you're gonna go and get it done. And and I don't want no smiling. Oh Afterwards. God, All these preconditions. <laughs> I don't now, want you, know you to what? Be... don't look at the doctor. Just close your eyes and just <laughs> I don't want you to be pleasant about it. I just want it. What does it do? What? Throw you on the really throw fast. you on the on the gurney and just... let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's not make eye contact and then just call me later. <laughs> okay, I got issues. A lot of issues. Let's not make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, I. Okay. What now? Never mind. I went too far. <laughs> let's just do it. And then you're like, let's just do it. We'll talk later. <laughs> Call me. Maybe we'll, you know, we'll set up a, another time. My God, Harry, please. I'm not playing with you. Do you hear me? I'm not playing with you. Go and get your prostate my, checked. My, um, everybody, look, everybody was pleasant, but I'm not talkative. You know, I'm not a very <laughs> talkative person. So my anesthesiologist, he came in to go over everything and he's talking to me and asking questions and I'm just, yes, no, yes, 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 yes. And he's like, um, are you okay? Uh, you, you're you not very talkative. I'm like, not really. I just want to get it over with and get out of here. And he's like, lighten up, lighten up. <laughs> I'm like, it's the doctor doctor said office. that? Yeah, yeah. He said, lighten up. I'm like, the anesthesiologist. And I'm like, it's the doctor's office. Who's, who's light? But let me tell you, Babs. The people who were around, you know, because you hear the other people in the other exam rooms, because basically you're not separated. <laughs> it's not, they're not rooms. They're basically <laughs> like curtain areas. And, um, but everybody else is like talkative, talk about their life, talk about this. And I'm just like, <laughs> stressing, let's get this done. But 
Yeah. Mm. So that's how I am. <laughs> Don't like wow. doctors, never like doctors, but I was pleasantly su surprised by the whole experience. Let's just say that. Good job. Well, maybe doctor. the prostate the prostate checkup will be equally as surprising and pleasant. Well, maybe you know. I, I think I'm gonna go with the, you know, that my last doctor. You know, the last exam I had because my doctor wasn't in town, so they gave me another lady. Oh, that's the, yeah, the one you really like. <laughs> I'm going with her. <laughs> I think I'm going with her. <laughs> she might not be there, Harry. She might have just been, you know. Yeah. Since your doctor was out of town, she might have been subbing for him. Well, we Is need he to part of the practice. I mean, you we can need find to out. It. Oh Lord, we need to correct it because, yeah, I was uh, I was happy with that appointment, so we'll keep that going. But yeah, don't worry, Baz. I'm gonna I'm gonna sign up. I feel uh, like <laughs> it's like the draft. I'm gonna sign up. Harry, you are. Oh, you you are so fatalistic. You just think the worst. Like the zombies are not going to be doing performing the prostate checkup. It's like send me in, coach. <laughs> don't look at me. Don't don't talk to me. Just do it. Too high contact. <laughs> oh my god, that is hilarious. It'll be all right, Harry. Get it done so you can live long and prosper. All right. So I have five years till the next colonoscopy. Yeah, that's good. And then the prostate. Oof. Okay. All right. Okay, you're knocking them out. You're I'm doing it, Harry. Out. You're knocking them out. And then the orthopedic stuff is coming and all I that. know. Look, you'll be you'll have new knees in no time. In Oof, no time. Yeah. You'll have new knees in no time. And you'll be like, next thing I know, you're gonna be leading the the uh the line dancing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, because I lost my my rhythm like ten years ago when my knees went. You ain't lose your rhythm; it's there. The rhythm's it's... gonna get you. Then you can take your wife out salsa dancing. The rhythm went that way. I went this way. It'll be back. Just couldn't catch up. You catch you get your little bachata on. But um, <laughs> yeah, what I would like to do is like you know be able to go for a hike if I want to go for a hike and stuff like that. So. Oh, shoot. Yeah. All right, Harry. So. I can't wait to see this. <laughs> so. <laughs> I want to go. see, I want to see you outside. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I do. I want to be more outdoorsy. Well, not really. <laughs> I, I know, Harry. I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to go pet any bears <laughs> or anything like that. But talking about that, I, I want to get to the animals. But there's a story that is hilarious about. Um, oh, God. So <laughs> white people are finally um, asking for reparations but or, or seeing a side to reparations that they've never seen before. Right? So this this white girl... And I won't say her name, even though the article says her name. Um, complained to American Airlines about being wedged between two obese people. Oh, oh boy! In her seat, as she's asking for reparations, <laughs> and she took pictures of. Now, look, she's a little white girl. 
I'm not going to, I'm, and I'm not saying that, I'm just saying it because the picture she took were of two obese people of color next to her. Okay. So I'm not sure if that played any, you know, factor into her displeasure of, of she, she put, this is absolutely not acceptable or, or okay. Um, if fat people want to be fat, fine. But it is something else entirely when I'm stuck between you and your arm rolls are on my body for three hours. Okay. And she's asking for reparations. What does she want? An airfare back? What does she want? <laughs> Who knows? Um, what the airline say? <laughs> the airline hasn't responded. Um, she put this on her Twitter account. So did she get to where she was going? <laughs> she went. But she has. So does her airline ticket say um, you can request not to sit next to fat people? No. Didn't say that. So you get a seat as you get a seat. You know, so, okay, look, I get it. I If I'm flying by myself, I would get two seats personally. So there's a buffer. And you know, Harry, you're not supposed to buy two seats. If you're, if you're, if, if you, you can request a second seat without paying for it. That's just some double mess that the airlines do. But I, okay, go yeah, on with your story. But the only problem is they do accommodate you like that. I, I think so. But if they need to take the seat, they'll right, take Right, they the take seat. it from you. Yeah. So if you pay for it, they won't take it from you. So that's the only thing. I think Southwest actually accommodates that way. But if the the plane is full, they will stick somebody next. So that that's the thing. So. I, I will buy a second seat if I'm by myself. If I'm with my wife, then the person that my fat rolls on is going to be my wife. Right? So I'm good. Oh, if she's good. She's not complaining. <laughs> Listen, y'all bought a bed. Y'all went down from a king to a queen so y'all can be closer. <laughs> Cut it out. That's right. <laughs> so, so, I don't, yeah, know, I don't so. know what you do with that, Harry. I, I just feel like I don't. But, but think about that. I wonder how she feels about reparations for slavery. So, <laughs> is she is she suffering? I'm like, girl, get in line. But <laughs> <laughs> three, three hours because of a three hour flight. <laughs> okay. Like, girl, if you don't maybe get some rest used the, maybe she used the wrong word. She should have used. I want a refund, not reparations. But anyway. <laughs> So, so yeah, well, you know, some people are finally, I guess, getting it right. Oops. I guess. So, um, in Meriden, did you see that um, there was a home invasion? Oh, was there? Yeah, in I've not Meriden. watched the news, Harry, so I do not know. Um, the man broke into the house and used a frying pan to assault the couple. What do you mean? He, he grabbed the frying pan and beat them. The both of them? Yeah. <laughs> Were they old? Like, I don't... <laughs> Harry, I, like I, don't I don't know about you, Harry, but all you got is a goddamn fire... Oops, sorry. <laughs> sorry. All you got is a fire pit. And the, you, it's their house, right? Yeah. Yeah, so... And he picked up a frying pan in their house, or he came with a frying pan? <laughs> I mean, it has to. You, you, that had to be the weapon of opportunity where he picked it up inside the house. And he beat them with it. 
Both of them? Yeah. I mean, the guy should have been. All right, that's really... not a couple that work together. <laughs> oh, I know. Karen and I would have tapped tag team, you know, but, and also you, probably he would have had a couple of holes in them, but. How, um, how long they been married, Harry? They don't, they, that's not a couple. They're not a couple. <laughs> well. They're not a couple. I'm trying to see the age. It doesn't say the age. I mean, if they're elderly, I get it, but Harry, somebody break into your house, first of all, and they use your frying pan to beat you? <laughs> And the, the guy's name is Leonardo Castro. Castro. Um, so, that, and is he Puerto Rican? Or he, he looks, he's, he's Hispanic. He looks Hispanic. And there's no knives in that house. <laughs> he grabbed the frying pan. Wait, so, <laughs> so the guy, you know, he's been let out a few times. He, he was arrested for shooting a gun for, he has a couple of arrests here. He had two warrants. And everything, and I mean, you gotta. Some of these people need to stay in jail longer. How bad was he beaten? I mean, how bad were they beaten? Um, it just says they were assault assaulted with a frying pan. How did they? How did the police get there? Like somebody made it to the phone? Like how did it get reported? I I, I just can't imagine how you break into my house and use my frying pan. Okay, so he beat them with a frying pan and then displayed a gun. So and then he oh, okay. Left, he, then he left the home and that's when they called the cops. Okay. So uh, so they so might I have been know. tussling with him with the frying pan and he probably started losing. <laughs> <laughs> and pulled the gun. And pulled the gun. Because that's the only way I could see that happening, Harry. Do you know what I mean? Like he couldn't beat them with the frying pan because they was they was putting it on him and then he, he backs up. Some- he could have wanted eggs. Good. He could have broke in to get, have them make him breakfast. <laughs> I don't know. I was like, they, they Latino people never got no knives handy. I don't believe it. <laughs> well, that that's the thing. Well, he's the Latino, right? So, so who's the Latino? Oh, the, the 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 invader. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so you're right. Instead of grabbing a knife, he grabbed a frying pan. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, sometimes I think people are trying to get put in jail. You know, it's like their way back um, where they do weird things. And you're like, okay, he's a career criminal where he robs people with guns and he's going to grab a frying pan. I think he wanted to go to jail. Okay. Yeah. Or he might have been hungry. I don't know. Whatever the issue was, he going back Did to we- jail. <laughs> no matter what it is, you're going back now. And they're probably gonna give you a lot of time. Oh my yeah. god. So this morning, Bess, have you gone out yet? No. Oh my god, there was a sheet of ice on my car. Already? Yes. Oh, come on. It took me a while to defrost the car. You know what you need to do, Harry? You need um a spray bottle with uh a little vinegar and a little water. And you could spray it and it will melt that out. It'll take that ice right off. Yeah, I was like, what the hell? A whole freak. It's not just frost. It was a sheet of ice on my car. Well, y'all oh, down man. in the Waterbury where, you know, it's like a basin. No, but I'm looking. There was freeze warnings all over the state today. I know. I didn't turn my heat on yet. 
you know, while I, I was, turned it on, while I was fasting, Babs, for the doing the prep, um, I was freezing. What? And I'm like, you. is it like maybe I need sustenance or something? But I was freezing. <laughs> Harry, you know, every time, every time you talk about this. You always try to find your way back to you were starving. <laughs> I know. Because, I mean, I turned on the heat, Babs. I actually turned on the heat. Did Karen be, go like, what? <laughs> yeah, she, she, came, she came home and she's like, is the, the heat on? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, the heat's on. I'm freezing. I had it to like 73. And, oh, my God, Harry. And it was still cold. 73. You know, you could just put on a robe or something. I, you know, I was, I was just freezing, and I, I, I went and I made myself a bowl of chicken broth because that's all I could have. <laughs> and I stood there with the blanket, drinking chicken broth. I felt like, what in the hell's going on here? Harry, you are such a diva. <laughs> <laughs> drinking my chicken broth. <laughs> Oh, the injustice of it all. <laughs> oh, my God. But, that you is... know, I, at least I had chicken broth. But... <laughs> and Jell-O. Oh I had Jell-O all the year. That black coffee. I, I drank, like, two pots of coffee. Okay. How much How much Jell-O you have left in the fridge? You know, I think I overbought. Oh, really? <laughs> Harry. The minute you told me you had the person clear out the jello aisle, I knew you overbought. Yeah, I, I think I overbought because I ate jello, I mean, coming out my everywhere. And I still have a lot of jello in the fridge. Orange and green jello. Give it away <laughs> to the kids. No, I, I like jello, so it's good. All right. Does it cost you points? No, jello's free. That's why I, I love jello. <laughs> I'm starving Jello. <laughs> the Jello's not going to help you in the zombie apocalypse because you won't have any way to keep it cold. <clears throat> well, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a good slip, slip and slide thing. You know, you throw it, slip. I don't know. <laughs> My God. Anyway, this morning, Babs, they had the breaking news. Oh, what's breaking news? The new prime minister, Liz. Oh, I know she's out, Harry. Harry. (laughs) She resigned after six weeks. (laughs) Harry. Man, they're going through issues over there. Harry, she was so (laughs) ill-prepared. She went to to Buckingham Palace. She didn't know how to talk to those people. She didn't know the protocols. And everybody was like, what are you doing? She she enacted some 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 laws, Harry, that made everything go upside down. And yeah, she 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 introduced the budget without showing it to anybody. <laughs> People were like, "What the hell is wrong with this lady? Does she know how things work here as a parliament?" And, and people voted for her. See, that's that's what I mean, Harry. You just cannot. And she said that she hopes to have a replacement in two weeks. And it's like, wait a minute. Are you just going to name somebody or are people going to get the vote? <laughs> it's like, does she know what she's doing at clearly, all? Clearly, girl, we can't trust none of your judgment. <laughs> Not one thing. Her, when I saw the headlines, 
I thought, I don't know what I thought. I didn't think you could just quit, you know, give up. I thought, all right. I thought maybe they were saying they don't like her. They just, they just don't like her. And that's why she's like, whatever. She's out. I was like, okay, girl. Everything's clean. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm talking to Paul here while on the radio. You know, you know, people just walk into the studio all the time and have conversations with you. It's like they've never done radio before, right, Paul? <laughs> he said, what is radio? <laughs> Who said that, Paul? Paul, yeah. Is Paul back? Paul is back. I didn't I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, no. But Oh no, I did know because he sent me a text about something and I I was like, oh, okay. No, he was back yesterday. He had a show yesterday. Okay. Oh, that's right. He had um the, Stephanie. The, Stephanie, the lady who's running for uh Somebody. whatever. She seems a little odd to me, but okay. I got to watch it. Um, I haven't seen it. I, I edited it, the stuff yesterday and made podcasts, but didn't listen to it really. I, I want to know what Paul thinks. She seems a little strange to me. You know, like, like I want to hear like Twilight Zone music. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> not, not Liz Trust Strange, right? <laughs> not, not the Prime Minister. Sorry. And and she literally came out and said, uh, yeah, it's not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's what she basically said this morning. She's like, she's like man, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is not for me. I don't, I, girl, what you thought it was going to do? <laughs> at least she could admit it, Babs. I mean, some people just fake it and never make it, right? Yeah, we had a whole process. Or you fake like it till you make it. Some people fake it and never make it. And everything crashes and burns. So I I say good for her for you know accepting her limitations. Okay. And moving on. I, how do you you can't go no you, what job do you get after this, Harry? <laughs> I don't know, Beth. Some people Girl, you know, I don't know what job you get after this, Harry. What do you do? But Baz, we've seen a lot of people fail up, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's just we had a whole you, president. You you think to yourself, <laughs> there's just no way they're gonna have a career after this, and they fail up. And then they and then they find something to do. They get right? promoted like they, basically sometimes. They so get some. Fun. They get some job somewhere. Oh my God, Harry! When I when I saw the headlines that she was, I just thought. That they just didn't have any faith in her ability. I didn't think she was going to quit. Do you know what I mean? Because you know, people cannot like you all they want, but if you know, if you could do the job, you just do the job. But she can't even do the job. So, well, you know, I was watching the news this morning, and they said that the media over there was comparing her to a head of lettuce, <laughs> <laughs> and they were saying which one is going to fold first, the head of lettuce or her, and she did. <laughs> <laughs> so I so she's having it rough out there. It's Again, not... Harry, where do you go? <laughs> I don't know. When when you're being compared to a head of letters, I mean that's rough. Oh, Harry. I... But that, the criticisms were early, but I think people were like, all right, the honeymoon stage. But when she 
she she just does she just she just does not know how things work and i think that's that's very i think people need to understand that it's not just i'm a run and i want to do this that is there's some there's some awareness that you have to have some understanding of how things work that was terrible i mean yeah but i i give her credit for accepting her limitations but at the same time you have to broaden your outlook and and be able to accept change that that's outside of your lane when your lane is is all corroded and, and potholes galore and your neighbors is really nice you move over to your neighbors and you learn from your neighbor how to keep yeah. you you know i don't know i don't maybe she didn't have enough people around who were trying to tell her how to do this job or maybe she just didn't listen you know there are people who don't want to listen that's true <laughs> That's true, but these aren't the kind of jobs that you go, well, if you're not listening to me, I'll just go home. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> like, you going no. home? What are you talking about? I like, guess we got a whole home. country to run. What are you doing? <laughs> we have a whole country. I'll find you somebody in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm out. what? Give me two weeks. Let me pack up all my stuff so I can get out of here. <laughs> and she says, she says stuff like that, and it makes you think she thought it was a regular job. She's giving two weeks notice. <laughs> right it's like what the hell is wrong with Listen, people good she goes now unless they assassinate her <laughs> I'm like girl you in danger get get on out of here so all right it's 10 o'clock harry make the call letters um the symphony folks are coming up in the next hour 10 15 i've got uh joel thompson and alistair neal from the new haven symphony orchestra and Joel Thompson has a new piece that he is debuting um, on the on the notes of uh, James Baldwin. And so I'm looking forward to uh, having this conversation. I've seen him in conversation with Judge Graves at Graves at the, the Stetson Library, and I was quite um, quite moved by that conversation. So I'm looking forward to having having them uh, come on. Who knew the New Haven Symphony Orchestra would be the most progressive organization in the city? <laughs> All right, so you're listening to Love Bass Love Talk on WNHHLP 103.5 FM, your home for community radio. We'll be right back. Look for the other link. Love Babs Love Talk. Charles Ivy from New Haven, Connecticut. And you're listening to WNHHLP 103.5 FM, streaming live at newhavenindependent.org. I want to dance. <laughs> All night, Monday morning, I'm sick of this job already. Tuesday gets here, I'm already hoping for the hump day. Wednesday night, calling my girls, making sure our plans are still tight. Thursday brings a smile, cause I won't be putting up with this
Tried to flick, didn't get tossed. Mm-hmm. Pearly white, it's time to floss. Yeah. Got top billing, counted the cost. Everybody knows that you're a go getter. Say it with a smile as you earned your cheddar. Work real hard, and who could do better than you, Bob? You got through the week. I didn't give you trip when we did speak. Yeah, I'm JK, and I'm doing my thing with my big sis. I'm gonna make sure This is Ace Livingston, and you're listening to 103.5 FM, WNHH. First met, 
But how are you gonna reminisce when you haven't got over it yet? This song could be about what you're searching for. You're looking all over town, and I'm knocking on your front door. This could be, yes, it could be. It could be about love. Yes, it could be. Oh. All about us. Decision left me in dismay. This song should be about when I got your call, saying you weren't ready for marriage, that you couldn't commit at all. This song should be about our happy years. Instead of surprise when he hurt you, I was there to dry your tears. This song should be about how I'm out of bounds. See, I came to my senses, putting my feet back on the ground. This could be, it could be about us. It could be all about us. This yeah, we, but it ain't gonna be about us. This
met this badass shorty, then you fell in love. Now it's been three weeks since I heard from you. I was thinking about singing my rescue crew. The time he said, really said it all. So you carry some chicks back at the mall. Standing on line with skinny jeans. Looking like Ashton Kutcher you in the movie scene. And you're crazy about it.
know that I'm a party fiend. So of course I stay dressed. Don't take a bun of Versace, yes. No, I have to impress. Can't come with nothing less than on the mud gusto. Catch one the battle, but they don't know. Just which way I flow. You might be right. Don't you know that my game is tight? Got you right in my sight. Let's believe all the hype. We're gonna rock tonight. You got too much. It's up to the dance floor. Got all these shorties and they all screaming more. Got so much that they wanna show you. Want you to think that they know you. You got too much. It's up to the dance floor. You got all these fellas. Love talk on Babs Rolls Ivy. I am delighted this morning to have two of one of my favorite, two of my favorite people from one of my favorite organizations in the city. Uh, composer in residence Joel Thompson from the New Haven Symphony Orchestra and Maestro Alistair Neal from the New Haven Symphony Orchestra. Good morning, y'all. Good morning, Babs. How are you? Good to see you. Good it is Joelle. good to see you. Is your time winding down? My time. Yes. Oh, not, not yet. No, I've got, okay. uh, this is my, I have two more seasons here. Okay. So it's going to oh. be, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a long, oh, uh, just, there's a lot, many, checking. many things ahead of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. just checking, making sure. <laughs> hey, Joe. Hello, how are you? So I was at the Stetson Library when you had that wonderful conversation with Judge Graves about your upcoming piece um, that you're doing on Sunday with the New Haven Symphony Orchestra at, uh, at the uh, Lyman Center, um, Awaken the Sleeper. And, uh, and I just so enjoyed that conversation so much. And I just wanted y'all to come on and talk a little bit about what this concert means, what it looks like, and why um, the two pieces of music that uh, the premiere of this one piece of music uh, based on uh, influenced by James Baldwin, and then the second piece of music I guess from 1905 or something. So I I, I want to hear the thinking around this particular production that we're going to see we're going to listen to on Sunday. Joelle, would you like to start about uh, talking about to awaken the sleeper, and then I can sort of pivot to Shostakovich or however you sure. Like. Sure. Yes. Um, well, to awaken the sleeper is a piece for orchestra and orator. Um, or narrator, I suppose, uh, featuring uh, Baldwin's text being spoken with the orchestra providing a musical backdrop, almost like a concerto for uh, Baldwin's words. And a lot of them are taken from No Name in the Street, uh, his 1972 piece of uh, nonfiction, two essays, Take Me to the Water to Be Baptized. 
Um, and one, some other excerpts are from his letter to Angela Davis, from also from the 70s, and one from his last speech uh, at the National Press Club that he gave in 1986, the year before he died. And those, all of those excerpts are speaking to ideas of power in the United States, of identity, of justice. And uh, it was just a wonder for me to, a wonderful opportunity for me to sort of explore those words. And in this case, in this performance, um, I will also be the orator and I will practice delivering those words. Um, I will go back to being a, a performer, um, <laughs> which I have a little anxiety about, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think Alistair can talk a little bit more about the juxtaposition of my work with Rostakovich, though. I'm, I'm happy to do that. And to be honest, I can't remember, this is a chicken and egg situation, whether which came first in my thinking of these two pieces, but very quickly it became apparent to me that um, uh, that they belonged together uh, because they do have a fair amount of DNA in common, not specifically musically, but more in their message about, as Joel says, um, in a sense, speaking truth to power and confronting some pretty stark realities. Um, and and for Joel's piece, it, it it didn't make sense to just stick it haphazardly in the middle of a conventional program with a Tchaikovsky symphony or a Brahms symphony in the second half. Context matters, particularly with a work as powerful as To Awaken the Sleeper. Um, so I I it sprang to mind that I think in many ways an ideal pairing will be this incredibly. Um, dramatic and powerful symphony by Shostakovich, his 11th of 15 that he wrote. And this is symphony number 11. It's subtitled The Year 1905, though it was actually written in 1957, or premiered then. Mm. But it deals, it deals with um, one of the formative events of the Russian Revolution, which of course happened in 1917, 12 years later. But part of uh, the, the brewing storm that preceded that was uh, that revolution was this event that took place in 1905 in St. Petersburg at the um, uh, the Winter Palace, the square, the palace square for where of the Tsar's residence in a bitterly cold day in January, uh, a group of citizens had assembled to uh, plead with the Tsar for better living conditions. Things were pretty dire. And instead of being met with a sympathetic ear, they were met with gunfire and there was a massacre. And so this symphony charts in chilling detail um, through the course of an unbroken hour and its four movements, uh, the events of that day in January, um, the gathering of the crowd in the very still and, and frigid win, uh, square, the palace square, um, the growing uh, outrage and or or uh, uh, anxiety and uh, fervor of the crowd wishing to petition the czar and then being then and this is the second movement the actual massacre of by the czar's troops of the crowd the third movement is a, a slow uh, mournful lament which contains more than a trace of the seeds of anger and the last movement is a call to action uh, 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 channeling the rage into deeds um and and basically it's a warning it ends with a, 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 a an incredibly fast um, um like pounding of horses hooves um uh, a closing a closing part in which there's a big chime that's sounding the alarm and it's basically saying we're coming for you sooner or later 
Wow. So, you know, a little light entertainment at the symphony. <laughs> Listen, the New Haven Symphony Orchestra is probably the most progressive uh, organization in the city right now. <laughs> Who knew? I mean, I love the way that you can tell that you can use this music or this music can tell us history um, in a way uh, that I don't think anything else can. Like, it just adds to the richness of of why we study history. Uh, but to do it through this medium is uh, extraordinary. So, so now I, I'm starting to understand why the Baldwin piece makes sense, right? At least, at least should I be thinking of it that way, Joel? Like, should I be seeing how this me- lays on top of each other? Yes, I feel that... Um... The piece to awaken the sleeper and even in the title um, is a call to action it's an attempt to to awaken the sleeper even though the first lines that i will say as the orator in the piece is we cannot awaken the sleeper baldwin is sort of expressing this fatigue with trying to wake up people to the truth but seeing that it's falling on deaf ears a lot of times or sort of confronting a wall of willful ignorance. Um, even though he expressed that fatigue throughout his entire career, he tried to continually awaken the sleeper, tried to call people to action through his fictional works, through his nonfiction works. And in giving this piece now at the at the Lyman Center, it's an, a chance for me to amplify his words and also be a similar call to action that like at the end of the Shostakovich Symphony. Um, it might not be one to call to arms or anything, but it's it's really just a call to look around and and see where we are in our progression as a society. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I I think the juxtaposition does make a lot of sense for sure. So Alistair when you when you think about the season, did you did you know that this was the work that Joel was going to submit, and then you build something around it, or like how do you all decide that Sunday will be the day that you do this piece for this reason? Like, how does that work? Well, that's a great question, and it's 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 a little bit more haphazard. I don't just sit down one day and think from scratch. I have a complete <laughs> blank slate in my head. What are we going to do next season? There are all sorts of ideas that are germinating and, and happen during the course of conversations. So with Joel, we have been talking about this for uh, a while because this is now the New England premiere. We're part of the commissioning process. So it's been on my radar. Um, but, you know, uh, 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 as far as the rest of the season goes, it's more uh, it's it's a more gradual process and no one thing happens all at once um and this season in particular since four of the concerts are going to be conducted uh by guest conductors um who are uh being viewed as as the person to come after me um so there was that part of it as well they're not just my programs but i um i'm i'm so, i'm just I, in that sense i was kind of supervising just overall um so that the for instance, that, that not all of the guest conductors would conduct a Beethoven symphony in case that was their preference. So I had to make sure that there was a balanced diet throughout the season, which actually ended up being very, uh, a very smooth process. Wow. I, I love the way that this is thought out in a, I mean, you, you do have some uh, uh, rules or, or parameters in which to work from that, um, uh, uh, that you, you think about how this music marries to each other. So Joel, did you did you 
what what was it about the Baldwin words that inspired you? I mean, you could have picked anybody, you know, to be inspired. Uh, but what was it about the James Baldwin words that moved you? Yes, um, I think for me, reading James Baldwin in the wake of George Floyd's death, um, as I was trying to find solace in various artistic media, um, you know, I think happening upon Baldwin's words again um, and seeing the words that he wrote so long ago and how relevant they were, um, I felt less alone. Um, I felt that here is someone who's feeling exactly what I'm feeling, this friction between a deep pain and a deep grief in how this country is treating certain uh, identities um, uh, and not uh, allowing justice or accountability um, to happen with these communities, but also, on the other side, a deep love for this country and also a, a, the, a love for the possibility that this country um, contains. And I think that love, uh, as I describe Baldwin's love as an impossible love, um, it's, yeah, I, I think I think that's really what, what drew me to Baldwin's words. There there are so many, I mean, so many expressions of anger and just righteous anger and, and uh, that I could turn to in the wake of all of the, the chaos of, of 2020 and, and, and the conversations of, of racial reckoning in its wake. But um, there's something about Baldwin holding space for that righteous anger while also, in the other hand, um, believing in the experiment of American democracy and hoping for a positive outcome uh, that I think particularly drew me to his words. Uh, and, a, and a chance to amplify those um, in the context of the classical music hall, which, you know, uh, outside of New Haven Symphony Orchestra, it can be quite um, conservative in its outlook, you know, or, or in, in, in its culture. Um, and so to provide a space for Baldwin's, you know, galvanizing and um, soul-stirring words in that context was, uh, you know, a wonderful chance for me to you know, take a risk, <laughs> see what happens. <laughs> I, I, I love it. So, you know, Alistair, um, uh, American theater is changing. The audience is changing. Um, the demographics are changing. Everything is changing. Do, are you, do you see that in, in, in symphonies? Are they starting to sort of understand um, the audience that they are, are accustomed to playing to is changing? And, and how do you adjust to that? I think it probably depends on where you are. Um, and uh, I will say that from what I'm understanding from our box office, that 25% of our audience on Sunday are people that have never been to the symphony before. Whoa. Wow. So I find that tremendously encouraging. Also a little bit, if you think about it for just one second, a little bit um, stress inducing because it means that we have a chance to connect and, and you only get one chance to make a first impression. Um, and this is, I, uh, I'm hoping that the fact that this is a very unconventional kind of program will actually work in our favor. So it might dispel 
some of the old myths about um, about classical music and about orchestras. Um, but that that remains to be seen. We'll probably we'll find out around five o'clock on uh, on <laughs> Sunday afternoon whether this uh, has connected or not. But I'm I'm optimistic that the strength of the music will will uh, of both of these incredible pieces will uh, um, land where we're hoping it will. So so when you when you see a twenty five percent uh 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 twenty five percent of the audience has never been to the to the to the symphony before. Um, does that give you opportunity to think forward about maybe we could do some more creative things and maybe I could introduce some other kind of music and most certainly most certainly it, it is uh it's a great challenge to have um I, it, it there is a trem- i will say there's a tremendous amount of interest in in uh in particularly in in joel's piece uh I think that's uh, that is uh, bringing a lot of these people into the hall, and uh, 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 that's that's great. But but I mean, it, it does absolutely um, uh, lay the challenge at our feet say, to say how can we how can we continue to engage with our community? How can we bring in new audiences and and uh, share the love that all of us have with our art form to make it even more relevant for the twenty first century? So so, Joel, do you? Do you feel the weight of representing a lot of things in this role as composer and president? I mean, it. I mean, we young kids see you, I see you, we see you, and of course we're proud and all that. But does does that help you engage new audiences and 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 help you sort of share to people that you know what this music is for you too? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, I, 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 I definitely think about um, writing music that makes my community proud, and and um, I, I definitely feel that that duty to have a be a positive representation of of my community, all of all of the intersections of my identity. Um, but in the end, uh, composition for me is. Uh, practice of personal expression. Um, the music that I write is going to be, you know, I, I, my biggest priority is honesty. I want my music to be true to who I am and true to how I'm feeling and, and what I'm thinking about. And I think by holding true, holding true to that priority, to that principle, I, I hope that I can be definitely an inspiration for you know young black kids thinking about entering this space as as creatives in in any artistic field really um it's you know i i had to see that it was possible uh to to be a black composer in order to really pursue i'm so glad that i saw alvin singleton's praise maker in at play at the atlanta symphony when i was in high school and i saw a guy with tight curly hair like me walk out on stage and take a bow afterwards so I, I i understand the importance of those moments of representation but also i love the fact that um you know alvin got to write whatever music that he wanted to write there was so much freedom in what he wanted to do and that inspired me to pursue my own and i hope that i can be that inspiration for anyone else who is um 
wanting to do that. And that's why I'm so glad a part of my duties as composer in residence with New Haven Symphony Orchestra is to work with high school age composers. Uh, and just this past Tuesday, we got one of our monthly meetings um, at ECA and, you know, we're exploring clarinet quintets this, this season and um, they're, you know, working on learning about the instrument and fine-tuning their skills that we've been working on for the last season. And so, um, yeah, I'm I'm so glad that I have this opportunity as composer in residence, for sure. Oh, I love it. So, Alistair, do you feel some responsibility toward educating an audience about the richness and the, and the, the richness of other composers that are not white out there? Do you, do you feel that responsibility? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, this is all part of, I, I think, a long overdue movement um, to, I, I, I call it um, broadening the stage, uh, making the stage uh, larger, more generous, more open uh, to all sorts of voices um, that haven't been heard. Uh, and I feel that is critical to certainly to my role here as music director and other places too. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that people will see it that way, um, that we are making, you know, real, real strides in, in that regard. It's never, it's never enough, but um, it, uh, yes, in answer to your question, I very much feel the responsibility um, to carry this mission forward. And, and so we all you, win because there's fantastic music. Oh, it know? is amazing, amazing so, music. So many sources. But when you, when you, when you put some, some unknown or little known music on the playlist for the, for a concert. Um, how much time do you have to spend trying to explain or, or do you just let the music speak for itself? And then it's like, Oh, by the way, African-American composer or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Like, do you, do you tell them first or do you let them experience the music or like, how does that, I know, I know what you did for, uh, for Miss Price. Like you, you gave us a whole education about Miss Price, and then you backed it up with several concerts of Miss Price's work, right? And and that right. was a big and deal. That was a real learning experience for a lot of people. Um, so, I mean, talk to me about how how do you do that? How do you how do you put this music together to share new 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 works that uh, that that would probably go unheard? Well. Broadly speaking, it's purposeful. Like I, 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 I look at a season and go, okay, how is our balance of um, the, the traditional canon um, uh, with underrepresented composers? And I just keep myself disciplined to make sure that um, that there is the um, you know the, a real balance. Uh, but but part of it is just organic at this point. I'm just interested in in accumulating is there's so much with the internet there's so many sources that you can't say well I wasn't aware that that existed or you can't use that as an excuse um that's just laziness so uh keeping myself open to hearing new voices and and exploring um uh further some of the voices that we've already brought for instance this is the third season that I programmed in a row with more Florence Price's music at the last concert um, which is absolutely a, 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 a celebration of black uh, composers uh, throughout all all of the composers on that uh, on that last program uh, are black. Um, we're playing her piano concerto, 
uh, in one movement, as well as as this uh, uh, reconstructed, reorchestrated uh, Helen Hagen's uh, piano concerto. Uh, so, you know, these are all, it's, it's just, it honestly is just a natural thing at this point for me. I don't, I don't have to think too purposefully about it because I, I, I know that it's just where my instincts are intending to go. Mm. So Joe, talk to me about inspiration and, and um, because we, we never think of classical music as modern music, but I'm wrong in that, right? Because classical music, if you write a classical tune today, it's modern, but its roots are in, you know, some other time. But so how, how are you inspired? Like, what brings you inspiration and what, what, what moves you? Can you hear a piece before you write a piece when you are inspired by something? Yeah, I, I guess my my inspiration is a lot of times, yes, I'm in dialogue with historical music of the Western European art music tradition, for sure. Um, I'm listening to Bach and I'm listening to Beethoven and Rachmaninoff and Shostakovich and um, all of these, you know, canonic figures. Um, but I'm also inspired by other artists making music at the same time as I am. You know, I'm inspired by Esperanza Spalding and Janelle Monet and, and you know, just the things that they're doing in their particular Id- idioms and, and genres and art forms that are inspiring to me as a fellow artist, just in dialogue with a different tradition. And I'm also working towards, I think, trying to bring all of the musical styles and rhythms and and melodies and harmonies that represent myself into the classical music space and hoping that it still remains classical music (laughs) or maybe not even caring so much about those genre designations and just wanting to uh, again prioritize honesty in my expression and so I, I really consider it to this this craft to be a practice. I want the music that I create 20 years from now to be different from the music that I'm creating right now. Um, because I, I, I want it to represent my growth as a human being, as an artist. Um, yeah, and so I, I find inspiration from other artists who are prioritizing the same values that I am in my music. And like the few that I list, listed uh I think do the same. And I also wrote my thesis um, on Nina Simone and her 1964 concert in Carnegie Hall. And there's another artist that provides inspiration for me. And, you know, she's singing, I love you Porgy one second. And then Lorraine Hansberry pulls her to the side and said, what are you doing for the revolution? And then she starts writing Mississippi Goddamn. And so, you know, there's, there's, you know, a, a parallel. There's a, there's a def- clear inspiration um, from Nina Simone to, to what I'm trying to do with my work. Um, yeah. <laughs> so on that, and on that same vein, I mean, would you, as a, as a, as a composer now, could somebody pull your coats the same way that Lorraine Hansberry pulled at Nina Simone? Like, could somebody say, Joe, what are you doing for the, for the people or the revolution or whatever, whatever it is, <laughs> like, could you, could you hear that? And, and could you respond in kind? I mean, I, I think you can and you are, but I'm just saying, like, that's a, you know, that's a very I, distinct thing. The foundation of, of good composition in my mind is listening. Um, listening to oneself, listening to the community in which you're presenting the art. Um, and I'm always open to any criticism or praise. And if one, you know, 
luminary in their field pulls me aside and says, I, I would like to hear more, you know, an exploration of that. I will consider it, assess it according to my own set of values and morals. And then I'm, I might, you know, so like I, I welcome a moment like that. Um, uh, I think with, with Nina Simone, she was singing jazz standards at the same time at, at her premiere at Carnegie Hall um, while Dr. King was uh, imprisoned in Birmingham. Uh, and uh, the, the, the sort of friction between reality and, and the sort of art space that Nina was occupying, um, it, I think it was necessary for uh, Lorraine Hansby, Hansbury to awaken the sleeper <laughs> um, in, in Nina Simone's artistry. And it, she did definitely wake up. In fact, she got sort of pegged as making only civil rights music for a time. Um, no more jazz standards, but, you know, she found other ways to be subversive, singing like Black is the Color of My True Love's Here, and it means something different when a full afro Black woman is singing that on some of the most hollowed stages around the country, um, this this tune of uh, completely different origin from, from her ethnicity. So, yeah, uh, there are ways to be subversive, there are ways to explore honesty in one's artistic expression, and, and I'm uh, trying to find my way as I continue to do so. <laughs> <laughs> so, Allison, tell me, what, what still excites you about this music, about classical music and being the maestro to, to classical music? Um, I don't really think of myself as maestro. Um, just, just you know, I wave my arms around. I mean, it's, I think that's starting to be a <laughs> oh, little no. bit of a... No, 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 because I can't do term. that. So well, that, that's, a, that's a skill set that you have. That is hard work for. I don't have that skill set. Like I couldn't get up there and conduct nothing. But you get up there and you you do this work and people are excited by it. How, how, yes. Tell me what still excites you about this. I'll tell you. Um, it's it's the fact that it's in a perpetual state of renewal. Um, this is music that has a whatever. I mean, classical is such a unwieldy uh, of all the bad terms that could be used to describe this art form i suppose classical is maybe the least bad but it's still uh it it's it's uh, it's still so hard to to find the right kind of term but whatever it is that we're talking about it, it stretches back hundreds of years and if you're re-examining a piece by mozart or bach or schubert um or whether it's that or creating uh, a new tradition as we are with uh, with the new england premiere of joel's piece um, it's part of a continuum. It's, it's part of this huge um, unbroken chain of music. And and there's always something new to explore. You know, uh, uh, I'll be doing Joel's piece for the first time on Sunday. I'm quite certain it won't be the last time I'm doing it. But whatever the point is that I do the next performance, I'll be looking at it with fresh eyes. And I know that I'll be able to extract something new from it. And that that is a beautiful thing. And so, Joe, same question for you. What what still excites you? Like the fact that you can create new music, bring your own spin to to, to this genre of music. Um, what what excites you about that? Well, I have a deep love for this genre. I grew up listening to a lot of it, and you know, I, I turn to it for solace. Uh, some of the goodies and the oldies. Um, and but at the same time, I think the I I love the collaboration 
aspect of it. Um, I'm also composer in residence at Houston Grand Opera, and I'm, you know, excited about, you know, you can probably, you will probably be able to tell my penchant for drama when you hear my, my piece on Sunday. But um, working with singers and in working in a very dramatic medium and getting to tell, getting to explore new mediums of storytelling through this music is what excites me now. Um, and the highly collaborative nature of it. As a composer, all I do is put dots on a page, but the music doesn't really live until, you know, Alistair studies it and looks at it and has an orchestra and, you know, conducts it. And I don't make a sound at all on stage, but they make the music, you know, and I just love that process. Um, and this Sunday, it will be a little different because I will also be performing, which is... You will um, be making a sound. <laughs> I will be making a sound. <laughs> I'll be following Baldwin's score and regurgitating his words. Um, but I, I'm I'm excited for, for that particular collaboration and uh, the thrill of it all. Um, but also, you know, it's... Uh, I, I agree with what what Alice just said. There's this sense of renewal that even though the the idiom is quite old and hundreds of years old, there's something that I can say um, now with this music that hasn't been said before. Um, yeah, so that that's what's really excites me about classical music. I appreciate that, and I, Alice, I appreciate that. Uh, now I I think of um, the symphony as another medium of storytelling. Whereas I didn't think of that way before, and uh, and I'm glad that I can see it that way. And I think that's that's the trajectory of my learning about this music that I come to see it as uh, another way to tell stories. Um, so thank you for that. Exactly um, right. So Sunday is the day um, at Lyman. How's that relationship going? How's it being in that space for this music? We're um, we're very very happy and and grateful to SESU um, for giving giving us our home uh, the season. We've just started literally last night was the first rehearsal of the new season, so it was kind of the first day back at school. Um, we're we're, <laughs> uh, we're all excited to be back in class together, and uh, we are we're adjusting to the acoustics, getting to play the hall. That's a gradual process. Uh, that's just the first of four rehearsals this week, and then of course the rest of the season, as we play ourselves into the new space. Um, so there's just uh, a, a lot of exciting possibilities ahead. That's for sure. Well, I am grateful for your time this morning. It is always a pleasure to see you, Alistair. And it is so nice to have you here, Joel. It really is a nice a nice feeling to have you in community with us. So uh, I'm my looking pleasure. forward. I will be there, of course, because I love the symphony. It's my one of my favorite things. I tell people, don't sleep on a symphony. It's a it's a good good opportunity for date night. It's a good opportunity to gather with your girlfriends. It's a good opportunity to hang out on a Sunday afternoon. So I'm going to be there, and I can't wait to hear um, this this music. So thank you all for being here this morning. Thanks, Babs. Great to see you all. Great to see y'all. So thank you so much. So if y'all have not gotten your ticket, I don't think they're fully sold out yet, but make your way over to uh, the New Haven Symphony Orchestra website, get you some tickets and uh, show up on Sunday at Southern Connecticut State University at the Lyman Center for Performing Arts. Uh, You will not be disappointed. You will not. It's my favorite thing to go to the symphony now. So 
I will see y'all. Thank you so much for your time this morning, good people. Thanks, thanks again. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. All right, Harry, play us out, and uh, we will see y'all tomorrow on Friday. Bye now. <laughs> Yeah.